0: She had written Guru Mere hai. Gobind yahi hai. Allah bhi hai kauen, kahan se hai? If my Guru is standing beside me and Gobind too is by my side, if Allah too is present here, then whose child am I? So mm-hmm. you know, there are so many people who have fought like this and so therefore so what it did for me is it opened my mind to start and my ears to start hearing these resonances and listening out for them everywhere I looked, everything that I read.
1: I'm Sadia Tarik and you're listening to Dhani, the podcast. Multiple award-winning singer and composer, Sonam Kaldra is that rare breed of musicians who has been trained in both Indian and Western traditions of music, and is equally adept at both. She has a beautiful, powerful voice with an honesty and sensitivity that is rare. But even more important than that is the fact that she is a musician with a message. And that brings us to her unique combination of all these qualities that has taken her to the prestigious stages across the world including the Sydney Opera House and MTV Coke Studio. Sonam's unique brainchild, Sonam Kalra and the Sufi Gospel Project, is, where, is what brought me um, to trace her down to have a podcast. Her rhythm's renditions make a remarkable mark of love and just love. In this podcast, we talk about how Sonam approached her music, what led her to bring about these projects. She also talks about the partition project that she carried out, her life in general, and the message that she wants to put out in the world through her music, through her wonderful, wonderful voice. Sonam, thank you so much for being on Dhani.
0: Thank you so much, Sadia, for having me. It's a pleasure to be doing this.
1: So now I came across your um, song um, rendition um, of uh, Hamdi Dekheenge" a couple of months ago, and you know, since then we've been trying to um, uh, to have this podcast. Um, it shook me. It shook me beyond uh, words. And then I looked at your website, and I, um, I I saw the work that you're doing. But in your own words, please uh, explain. Take us through uh, what and the hows and the whys of um, the Sufi Gospel Project, you and the Sufi Gospel Project.
0: So essentially, when I sang Day, um of course, it's one of the most famous, most iconic pieces of poetry by Faiz Sahab, And it's been sung many, many times at many different times. It's anthemic, it is against oppression, it is the voice of the people, and that's the way he wrote it and that's why as a result every time there have been protests people have sung it and they have sung it with hope for a day of reckoning and so for me I think when I sang it as well and I made it slightly different because I remember when I was thinking about the song it was playing in my mind I was not in India at the time I was traveling and this was when the CAA protests were picking up and we were learning more about what was happening and it was It kept playing on loop in my head. The words kept playing on loop. And I've sung it also uh, at different places, at different Urdu and stuff. But what was interesting for me was that I could hear the words of Rabindranath Tagore's where the mind is without fear and the head is held high, which goes Mm -hmm. on to say, into that heaven of freedom, let let my country awake, my father. And so I kept hearing that as a resonance of it. And I found that Mm -hmm. really interesting, and I knew that when I would come back to India, which was shortly after, I said I want to record it, and I want to put it out there, because these are interesting resonances, and I wanted to put it out there in the way that I do with the Sufi Gospel Project, um, where I believe that music can make all the difference, it can change the way you think, it can make you think, and even if it makes you think in question, perhaps, a rigid belief or um, a thought of hatred, then I feel that that's serving its purpose. And so I wanted to do it with a more quiet determination, not in the usual spacey sort of manner with a lot of tabla and harmonium and rhythm. So we did it in a very open, slightly more, um, for lack of a better word, more haunting manner. Mm. And um, when you say you've been to my website and you've seen my work, so essentially I started something about close to ten years or nine years ago called the Sufi Gospel Project and essentially the idea came about when I was invited to sing, so I was, just go back a little bit, I was, I studied Hindustani classical music but for some reason and there have been many things that have happened in my life but for some reason I think that I really started singing professionally or um, singing publicly was when I felt there was something I could say with the music, something I wanted to say, you know, my truth to tell, and mm. I I started thinking gospel music, which a lot of people found very odd, because they said you've trained in Hindustani classical, you're a sick girl, why do you sing Christian music, and I used to find that question very odd, and my answer to them was always the same, which was that I can call out to God in any way that feels right, and I can, sure. and there is no definition, um, you know, whether I decide God is male or female, those are my choices. And how and when I want to call out to that entity and which language I want to call out to that entity is my choice. And it should be my choice and it should be valid and respected. Um, sure. And so I started singing gospel music or as Christian bhajans, as people call the sick girl who was singing them. And I think mm. that I remember when someone once asked me, I said, I said, you know, it's quite simple for me because I said, religion is not God. And God, more importantly, has no religion. So that is mm. something that sort of stayed with me. And then I got invited to the Dargah of Sufi in Ayat Khan to sing gospel music for one of the Urs celebrations, which is the birth centenary, uh, birth celebration, um, the anniversary celebration. And I think that's when it really hit me. And I said, "How beautiful is this? That I belong to the Sikh religion. I sing gospel music. I'm invited to a seemingly Islamic space to sing. And I really did feel at the time that This sort of opportunity is the universe telling me something. And that's when the idea, the germ of the Sufi Gospel Project was born. And initially it was just a very intuitive thing. And then as I started to research it, I found so many similarities in what seemed to be seemingly different cultures, disparate times, places, people, poetry, poets, seers, thinkers. And I realized they were all saying the same thing. Which really is that many different hallelujahs, many different calls to God mm. can exist in yeah. harmony, and more importantly, they must exist in harmony. Mm. And so I took poetry, prayer, and music from different languages and religions, and I blended it together to try and put this message of inclusion, of equality of God. So I could take amazing grace, and I would blend the Sufi kata into it and do a translation of Amazing Grace. I would start Amazing Grace with Ikhom blend it with La Ilaha Illallah and then into Om Bhur And I felt that you didn't even realize when one became the other. Or if I took Hallelujah, I blended the song Hallelujah into Allahu at the end and Man Tuntum Mawla. And I think that those are the times that people realize that, my God, this happens so naturally and it's not jarring. And why do we then think of it as, so different when it is the same it's saying the same thing and of course a lot of the poetry i choose now as i've evolved over the last few years poetry i choose is about equality inclusion and it's extended itself to speaking out for causes speaking out for things that are important to me the things that i believe in for compassion for humanity for kindness for animals you know for every everything that means something to me and like i said it's to me, the most special thing is when I can have someone at the end of a concert come to me and say, you know, I I go back thinking differently or I go back with love in my heart or you changed the way that I thought or I came with questions and I have answers. So these are just even if one person feels like that at the end of a concert or having heard something that we're trying to say or that I'm trying to say, then for me, that that is the reason I want to sing.
1: Mm-hmm. How beautiful. Sonam, it is, as you said, it is about breaking down borders and and transcending Mm. all sorts of, and and just finding that concurrent theme, which you have so beautifully, which is coming out in your work. And if you were to go within, how Mm. has this work, how has this music broken down your uh, inner barriers?
0: So, I mean, I've grown up in a house which was, fairly liberal in many ways. I mean, I have two elder sisters, my parents were absolutely they were my life, my support structure, my best friends, my soulmates. So I was very fortunate in that respect to grow up in a house of love and equality. And um one of the things and I often talk about this my father said, you know, I was the third daughter and the youngest is that um anyone asks you if you're equal to men tell them no tell them you're better and I always believe that in some ways <laughs> that women are the better sex I it, and I don't <laughs> say this with any kind of hesitation or shame because honestly we have so many more qualities and of course it's wonderful that men are finding you know even when you say men are finding their feminine side it means they're finding their good side so let's accept yeah. that our feminine qualities is what makes us are what make us superior in terms of the compassion the kindness the the understanding, nonverbal communication, the intuition, all of that I feel is something that women have. So, anyway, three girls grew up in this house where we were encouraged to find ourselves, to find our own unique identities, to follow the arts, to express ourselves creatively. Um, also, a Sikh family. So, I think that was wonderful because Sikhism is a very syncretic faith. And I lived through the 1984 riots when I was very young. And I think that any questions I might have had and was so beautifully answered by my parents. I remember asking, I said, you know, what is wrong with these Hindus? Because I was so angry that the Hindus were attacking the Sikhs. And I I was so young. I was like six or eight or something. And um, my mother said that you will never talk like that. That's not okay. She said it is just Mm. a small bunch of people that do this. And that's exactly what I keep referring to even now, when people find it so easy to point fingers at entire communities or you hatred towards entire communities I say that's absolutely wrong because just because someone from who happens to belong to a community or a small group does something wrong you cannot you cannot blame an entire community for it and you certainly cannot make them victims of your hate or or you know they cannot be the people you point your hatred towards so that makes sure really upsets me um Mm. so like I said we grew up in a house where there was constantly this reminder of equality and so I think that and there was a very strong for me more than my sisters even I just always felt very connected to God I had this beautiful photograph of Guru Nanak Dev Ji in my room and I have always felt a very special connection with God so I think for me it's just always been something that I've had from within and when I lost my mother um, it was interesting because and I lost my father two years after so in many ways I feel like the lines between God and my parents have been blurred and they are the ones that I reach out to now when I think of God mm. so it, it's, mm. it's almost like there's three entities in one and so yes I think to them I think for them um, I think everything I do really is to find that beautiful connection Wow. Sorry, I get overwhelmed when I talk about my parents.
1: Of course. So please correct me if I'm wrong. It is um, the umbilical cord,
0: uh, which is...
1: Which is no, go ahead, sorry. uh, No, and then it, it, the bond.
0: I don't know if it's the umbilical cord or the fact that, that I had this very strong connection of love whether it is love for the divine or a love for my parents I think it was it's love which has been the springboard for everything that I do having been having been surrounded by love, I have learned the ability to love and I think I've been able to fill my heart with love and it's this love for the beloved or for a union with the beloved that is or even with people that is the springboard for everything that I do and as you asked, did it change the way I started to think. So the Sufi Gospel Project did some interesting things to me. In creating it, I found that I was able to drop more barriers or, you know, sometimes one tends to think without realizing in a way where you slot people or you create labels or you refer to person as X or Y, like straight or gay or Hindu or Sikh. And you realize that you, I started shedding all these labels and I saw more there were less walls, there were less lines, there were less demarcations and therefore because my mind opened, my heart opened and I was able to just see like a, a sameness or a uniqueness, a, a sameness despite a uniqueness in everyone and there's a beautiful verse by, uh, you know, uh, there's a song that I sing by based on the poetry of Baba Bulisha which I composed and basically in that he says he says मेरे गुरु ने, and I'll say it in Hindi and also explain it in English he says that मेरे गुरु ने मुझे ऐसा नुक्ता पढ़ाया है कि मेरा मेरा किबला मेरा मेरा मंदिर चार दीवारी में नहीं मेरे दिल, hmm. मेरे, के दिल के मेरा मेरा मेरे दिल के अंदर है और मेरे बैठे इंसान के दिल के अंदर और क्योंकि अब मुझे He says, my teacher has taught me a wonderful lesson that my temple, my shrine, my church, my mosque is not within the four walls of a building, but within the walls of my heart and the walls of the heart of the person next to me. And now that I have this knowledge, I'm free from the shackles of ritual and religion. And I have found God because God is within me and in everything that I see, in every being that I see, in every animal, in every person, in everything, in every act of kindness that I do, God is there. So I think that is what happened for me as well in realizing that I didn't need to think, you know, and the reason I think I was able to blend all these genres together. So whether I took jazz or Rajasthanis is because I stopped seeing them as belonging to a specific space and saying, no, I can't, I can't break these borders. Everything became seamless for me, which was really lovely. Of it opened in my heart as well. I'm just going to tell you what Kabir also says, and this is what happened. right? So when I started to, here yeah, the poetry of Baba Bulleh I would find resonances in what Kabir says. Kabir says, "Na mandir me, na masjid me, na mevrak upvas me, mo ko kaha dhundere bande, me tu tere pas me, na mandir me, na masjid me, na mevrak upvas me, na me kriya karma rehta, na hi yog sanyas me, na hi pran me, na hi pint me, na brahman akash me." And it's much longer. But I'll just end it with what he says. He says, "Khiji hoi." ispal har which means I am in every breath of every man. And he says, Kahe kabir, sadho, So he says, I'm in every breath of every man and I am in faith. And it's really that simple. Stop looking for me in the, in these outward depictions of Religion or ritual that you think you're doing to appease me because I'm not there. I'm just in every good thing that you do, in every act of love, in the love you fill your heart, and in the way that you see another person and treat another person.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. And this is the current message with all the spiritual leaders like Rumi, um, you know, hailing from Persia, from the subcontinent, everywhere. This is the message. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I mean, Rabia al-Basri, who was a fantastic female Sufi saint, saint she says, um, so in my soul there is a temple, a shrine, a church, a mosque that dissolves, that dissolves in God. Prayer should bring us to an altar where no walls or names exist. In my soul there is a temple, a shrine, a church, a mosque that dissolves, that dissolves in God. It's Like I said, it's one of the most beautiful things I have ever heard. And it's, it's something absurd, that very feels, absurd. you know, I mean, I found a lot of these pieces after I'd created the Sufi Gospel Project. In fact, I found something that my mother also wrote, which I literally found the day before I was ever to do my first performance. And it felt so special because it felt like I'd got a message from her. But it also felt like all my life she'd been leading me to this. And she said, she had written, Guru Mere Saat Padi Hai, Gobind Yahi To Hai. Allah bhi maujud hai So, kaun kaahasi hai. If my guru is standing beside me and Gobind too is by my side, if Allah too is present here, then whose child am I? So, mm-hmm. you know, there are so many people who have thought like this. And so, therefore, so what it did for me is it opened my mind to start and my ears to start hearing these resonances and listening out for them everywhere I looked, everything that I read. So yes, it did change me, and it changed me, I believe, for for the better, definitely.
1: Oh, for sure, oh, for sure. And now, while you were talking, you know, Sonam, I was thinking, what do you think? What do you, in your opinion, is the spiritual message that is going out in the world right now, in this situation where the entire world is in a lockdown? it's well, it's chaotic it's fearful but what do you think is the what is it what do you think is the universe trying to tell us
0: you know i just believe it's renewal and rebirth and i think it's 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 interesting it's this hiatus that we all talk of wanting to have say if i wish i had the time i would do this and if i if only and if only and so you know what we have the time And sometimes just being faced with that time to become better, where we say, you know, if there's a skill you want to learn, you say, yeah, I'll learn it when I have the time. Or if it's time you want to spend with your family or it's something that you have to do to improve yourself. I think we all say, I'll do it later. And we use the excuse of not having time. And I think now universe and God have said, here's your time. And they've put you face to face, literally put a mirror to your face and said, okay, what are you going to do? So I think that yes, it's really, it's really a hard time. It's hard being separated from family members. Um, we're free spirits, most of us, and we want to be out. But I think that the only way we can get through this is to try and look at it in a positive way, try and say, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Maybe it, it doesn't have to be. I really believe this whole thing of everybody feeling like they need to come out of this much better in terms of having learned a skill. Maybe not. Maybe you can just be. Maybe you can just meditate. Maybe you can just spend time to unwind because you've lived such a chaotic life. Maybe you can just spend time with your family away from mobile devices and do the things, whether it's cooking. Maybe we can all just get off social media and stop posting about our cooking and our singing. I mean, one of the things I haven't (laughs) done is get on and sing every day like so many of my fellow musicians. Because to be honest, Tadia, and I've been asked, and they said, why aren't you singing more on social media? And I say, It's hard for me to sing when every day I read about the number of people who are dying. I don't feel Mm -hmm. like I have something to sing about. If I feel Mm -hmm. like I could sing to raise funds to make a difference, yes, by all means, I would do it. And I am talking to a company that's promising to help raise funds for every song that I sing, but we're still in conversation. But other than that, I don't want to sing for validation because I don't need that external validation. And even if I needed it, I am telling myself I don't want it because I feel like this is the time. I mean, everybody wants external validation, but I think that one of the things you have to realize, and this is something that worked for me when I became a singer, is I realized that I had to sing for me. I had to do this for me and not in a selfish way, but in a way that was my truth. It had to be my truth to tell. And therefore it had to be something I believed in without worrying about perfection, without worrying about validation, without worrying about appreciation. The fact that it was true, perhaps, is the reason that it got some appreciation. And that's okay. That's wonderful. I'm not going to say that I didn't appreciate getting the appreciation. But I think that we have to stop looking for all the outside things that we do. We have to go into ourselves. So this is a good time to just really believe Mm -hmm. this is time for rebirth. It's time to think. It's time to work on yourself in whichever way it works for you. And really have faith i really believe something good is going to come out of this and i think we have to believe something good is going to come out of this it is very hard to see the number of people who are dying and my heart really breaks for them and the, the hospital workers and, and the doctors who are being so yeah. very brave and even the delivery people who are being incredibly brave so we need to do, Absolutely. do our bit. we need to do our bit by whether it means raising funds I mean, each of us can do our own thing. You just have to realize what's going to work for you. You know, if you're not the kind of person who wants to learn a new skill, like I said, don't learn it. But if you are the kind of person who can do a neighborhood feeding of animals, then just do that. Something that makes you feel like you're giving back in some way or you're giving to yourself whatever feeds your soul. Mm -hmm. Apart from music,
1: what feeds your soul?
0: My dogs (laughs) and my baby. (laughs) So I have... Five beautiful dogs. As far as I can remember, I've grown up with dogs. Um, if I was, uh, I mean, I think the oldest picture that I can find of me is as a little baby, I'm surrounded by puppies and I love, love, love animals. Absolutely adore dogs. So I have five dogs and their names are Garbar, Chutney, Larka, Larki and Chokra. And they're a family. There's a mom and no. dad. And she's kids, <laughs> That's so and adorable. The loves of my life. And 10 months ago, we got puppy number six. And she's my human baby. Uh, I had a baby and her name is Noor. And you know, um, she loves the she loves the dogs. So she's growing up with these wonderful dogs around her. And I think every child should grow up with dogs because I was telling someone I said, they learn so many of the loveliest qualities from animals, they learn Mm -hmm. to be happy, they learn to take live life in the moment, they learn to be loyal, and they learn non-verbal communication and how to read people's eyes and just understand from their body language what they're feeling. So I think every child should grow up with dogs. So that feeds my soul. I said how incredibly beautiful, really. I, that's a message and for all what the feeds parents. my yes. stomach, by the way, is ice cream, because I have a husband who makes ice cream for a living. So most singers will tell you they don't eat ice cream, but I, I eat ice cream because I live with ice cream.
1: Wow, how interesting is that? Would you like to um shed some light on that? Because I'm Absolutely. I am just completely enthralled by that by by partition. Anything so, um, and everything
0: that I find, I find it it's it's getting into my soul. I know, I totally agree with you. So as I said to you, um in before forty seven my mother's side so my nani's side was from nanny uh, Nani and Nana's side are from Pindi and from the dad's side, they grew up in Surgoda. So then they moved here during partition, and it was interesting. Growing up, I never heard any negative stories uh, from any side of the family. I did hear from my grandmother how she used to go to college and she used to ride her own tanga. And I thought, what an amazing woman! Um, she was doing, she was studying. Not only was she studying at the own, at that time, but she was riding her own tanga to college, which was pretty incredible. She was a very strong woman. Um, mm-hmm. But what was interesting to me was, uh, I think my husband and I went. They opened the gates of uh, India and Pakistan. There was this very sort of historic cricket match that happened in Mohali. And they opened the gates. And I remember that there was this photograph that a journalist captured. And he had, it was of a man who had a little girl, his daughter possibly, on his shoulders. And she was holding this placard, which read like this. It said, lali dasdiye roe Asivi.'" and I remember weeping my guts out when I saw that photograph and it was so Mm -hmm. funny it stayed with me for so many years to the point that every time I would tell people about this I would start to cry and I kept wondering Mm -hmm. I said why do I feel this pain I don't understand it and then uh, uh, we went to Pakistan for a cricket match in which I think Dhoni played very well and I'm not a cricket buff uh, but -hmm. it was the most incredible atmosphere in the stadium it was in Gaddafi stadium in Lahore. And it was mm-hmm. just absolutely stunning because there was this moment where they tied the flags of India and Pakistan together. And these were the people who were running around within the periphery of the stadium, holding flags and cheering. They tied the two flags together. And again, I don't think there was a single dry eye in the stadium. And there was a boy sitting next to me when India was batting, Pakistani boy. And he said, si mainu apna flag your so I looked at him and kind of say, why do you want my flag? And he said, I'm going to cheer for India. And I just thought, see, that was the feeling. So when I came back, and there was also so much other great stuff that happened. I've also been, I went uh, for a theater production. And I remember when I was at the theater production, there was a lady from Afghanistan who was selling jewelry. She refused to take money from me. All this stuff happened. And then there was this one time where I went to sing. One of the few times, That's when that was my first time that I went to sing in Lahore. And I crossed the border by foot. And I think that's what changed it for me. So I remember looking at my foot on either side of just this white line. And I could mm. not stop crying. I kept saying, why do I feel like this? Yes. And I said, Bas, you've just drawn this line and you just literally ripped a family apart.
1: Mm. And so
0: when I came back, I said, you know, I have to do something. This is not This is not something that happened over a period of like six months. This was happening. It was staying with me for about, I think, 10 years. This thought stayed with me or maybe, yeah, close to 10 years. And then I gave a talk at the Indian Council for Cultural Relations. They asked me to talk about roots, identity, and, and DNA. And I remember I was saying to them while I was writing, I said, it's weird. I felt this way when I crossed the border. And I wonder if it's in my DNA memory, and it's not like I had ever read anything about DNA memory, it was just again intuitive. And then later I read that, you know, that the memories of many generations are passed down in your DNA. But Mm. all of that, finally, I decided that I was going to create a performance and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I started researching the poetry of poets of that time, there was, it was interesting to find very little that I could put to music, but it was the pieces that I found, these words, Akhiyandilali, stayed with me. And this was written by Ustad Daman. I composed that. Then I composed um, Amrita Shergill's Amrita Pritam, Sorry, Amrita Pritham's Aj, aj Varishanu Janu Kitob Kabra Vichho Bolte Aj Kitabe Ishk Da Koi Agla Varka Pole. And the way she describes, oh, wow. she says, you know, ik roiti Punjab di tu likh likh mare ve aj lakhatiyan ron tenu varishanu janu. And she says one daughter of Punjab cried and we wrote a thousand pages and today a thousand daughters cry. Why won't you write of their pain? Oh, and she wow. Lahoudi Bharichanab. I mean, she describes, this. she said the rivers that were once blue and the fields that were once green, the fields are now laden with bodies and the rivers flowing red. I mean, it is the most heart-wrenchingly painful poem. So I composed that. Then I took Fais Sahib's Hum Ke Tahere Ajnabi and I composed that. So anyway, I composed and I wrote myself. I was inspired to write in Punjabi. And I wrote a song with a friend of mine who's a poet. So the two of us wrote it. Then we used another Sufi poem. Anyway, so we, I got all these pieces together. And then I started researching videos. So essentially, I created a multidisciplinary performance where I blended video. I blended so video testimonials of survivors with all these poems composed by me. And I got an actor on stage, this wonderful older actress called Salima Razaji. Now Salimaji is a dear friend as well because we've acted together before. I used to act earlier as well. Salimaji is also related to Zora Segal; she's her niece, mm. so she comes mm. from that side. So she also has a connection with Pakistan. So Salimaji sits on stage; she recites some of this. She, we found stories of survivors, and then I wrote a lot of the script. Where I wrote a poem, and then she would recite it, or I wrote a piece of prose. And so it was very exciting for me because I literally pieced this whole thing together from start to finish. It's a one hour, 40, 45 minute nonstop performance. And it starts with ji, It starts, I mean, it starts with actually me singing Ajak Khan then goes into a video testimonial. So we kept throwing the baton from video to singer to actor. There's, then I worked with a graphic artist called Gopika Chawfla, visual artist. And so she has done a beautiful installation on stage, which we call The Bleeding Line. And it literally divides the audience into two. It bleeds all the way from the stage and it divides the audience into two. Um, It is, and I can say this because the content is just not, I mean, it is the most heart-wrenching performance. And you know what's interesting is, like I said, every time I do a Sufi Gospel Project performance, I will have people come to say how they wept or how they were so moved. And it's amazing. People are kind. They come and they want to tell you how they felt. But every time I do a partition performance, I have people come to me and say, you know, my grandmother. My family, everyone yeah. has a story to tell. And then I used footage, um, the video testimonials. I took some, I recorded some, but I also took some footage from the partition archive, which this friend of mine, Gunita, she's become a friend because of what she does. I took from her. She's been collecting a lot of archival footage of survivors. And basically it starts with a kind of retelling of stuff that happened, but it also, I wanted to talk of. So for me, the it was based on this one premise this, that it was a family that was torn apart. I did not want to tell it from the eyes of politics, from humanity and what it meant to me, to me personally to say that, gosh, imagine what it feels like if you wake up one morning and you turn into a refugee, you have no home. Imagine what it feels like when you suddenly cannot see your family anymore or you're wrenched apart from what you know is your land. That is also your family. Your land is your family. Your birthplace is your family. Yeah. So it was mm-hmm. just based on that. And then imagine that every time we meet outside the eyes of politics, we feel such a connection that only brothers and sisters can feel. How is that?
1: I am completely, completely in agreement so with you. It went this. it
0: goes on. The performance goes on to then talk of lovely stories where people have helped each other find relatives. 50 years later, or if somebody went back to Pakistan, they found their old house. And then mm-hmm. there's this lovely poem that a friend of mine, Deepak Ramola, a poet who worked with, he says, which I re- we recite, Salima ji recites in the show, where she says, she says, Kash kal subhe, jab aank masalte hue darwaza khonu, to the ke us taraf khada Nadarare dousra mulk. Na darare, na diware, na shikayat, na sannata, bas ijazat, ek kamre se dusre kamre tak jaane so he's basically saying he says imagine if you wake up one morning and i have permission just to go to the other room so it's so beautiful the way he doesn't describe it as two separate houses it's two two rooms in one house one house where there's no hatred there's no anger there's nothing it's just permission for me to go from one room of my house into the other and he says if that happens I would celebrate and the celebration is beautiful. He says, I will put streamers up. He says, Divaru pe do kilo lag toran bandunga. Do diye jalaunga. Do taraf, do taraf." I will light two candles, this side and two that side. And he just it's such a beautiful poem. There's that poem, then there's Ali Sardar Jafri who says, Isi sarhat pe, he he says he talks of how on this border. He says, I've been sitting at this border, and this is the same border that woke up to this horrible dawn, which was not even a dawn. And he says, And then he describes this land that you split apart. He says, You know, he describes this land, which was Punjab, was filled with happiness this is the way he describes punjab he says, it was people who were dildar they had big hearts they were loving they were happy they had there was laughter and he then he ends by saying isi sarhad pe kal suraj ho ke do tukde. he says this is the same border where the sun set and broke shattered into two and he says isi sarhad pe betha hu muntazir ke kate ki shab or Uge Suraj he says, I've been waiting here at this border that this night of, of anger, of resentment should fade and we should, it should, it should go into a beautiful dawn of love and friendship. So, I mean, I've used all of this and we ended, we also collected, I collected close to 400 WhatsApp messages of people from either side where they, each of them says, when we meet, that's, that's the only thing they had to start it with. And Mm -hmm. it was the loveliest messages we got from both sides. Mm -hmm. So we show about five or six of them in the show because obviously I couldn't show all of them. And at the end, I have collected postcards from every single person who's come to see the show. And I have close to, I don't know, 8,000 postcards addressed to the other side. It just says to the other side. And every day, time before a show, I've performed this across India. Every time before a show, when I read some postcards because I put them up on the wall before you go in, and we also walk in through, you walk in through a memory kind of um, photographs floating memories of people. But we put these postcards up and every time I'm sitting there choosing which ones, I'm sitting there and weeping. Because they are so beautiful, the messages. When we meet, I will We will sit together. I mean, this, the messages are so sweet. And I actually make people post them. I carry a post box with me everywhere for each performance and physically get people to post the postcard. So, this has been, for me, I wanted it to be a movement. And I know that I'm going to do something with these postcards at some point in time in my life and something special. We were going to go actually to Lahore to try and present the show last year in November, but the situation between the two countries was not conducive to it because of what happened in Kashmir. But maybe one day when there's happiness and friendship and peace and we can go, we would love to go. Of course, we've been wanting to come to the UK to present this because especially in places where the Indian and Pakistani community live together, I think it's really important where the diaspora stays together to actually showcase this. Also because, you know, oral histories, this is the last generation that has them. So we need to share them. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was very, very interesting. You know, Sadia, we shared the show at the Ashoka University for their Independence Day orientation and celebrations, which happened, I think, two years ago. And I said to the university, when they said, will you come and perform this? I said, look, let me come and do the Sufi Gospel Project. It's also a wonderful, really a wonderful message. And it's the message that youngsters need to hear. But I said, this one they may not understand because it's a lot in Urdu, Punjabi, even though I have texts that, they can read and understand it's subtitled. They said, no, you must come. I cannot mm-hmm. tell you. There were 500 children who watched. I must have had to speak to 300 of them at the end of it, one by one, because they all said, <laughs> we didn't know this. One of them said, I'm feeling so much love for my Pakistani brothers and sisters. Someone said, mm-hmm. I had, in the South, South Indian kids said, gosh, we had no clue, ma'am. We had no clue. We don't read this in our history books. And I said, yeah. yes, because history only tells you facts. This is, yeah. it's not just history and politics. It was, it was lives. And, you know, even sure. I come back to the word refugee and I find, so, you know, when you asked me at the very beginning of the interview, how did it change you? I find things like that as well. It changed me in as much that when I feel, hear people lightly throw the word around when they say refugees and, and they, or refer to a community, like I said, you know, this bloody community or that bloody community or this bloody i just like, try and be in their position for one second before you think of what you say. No one wants Mm. to be a refugee. No one wants to be an ostracized community. No one wants to feel unsafe. No one sits in protest for hours out of their homes in the freezing cold unless they feel threatened. So stop saying this stuff. Stop being insensitive. Please, find kindness in your heart. Yeah,
1: Sunam, uh, really, I mean, after talking to you, really the concurrent theme and the, the ethos of you is, and your work is um, getting people together, transcending all all borders, all religions, and just getting people together. And as you said, just be kind. Yeah. And your last message is coming at the end of the podcast. Your last message for everyone who's listening in this um, period of distance of social distance one message for yeah. the uh, the
0: listeners it in this message in this time of distance find closeness find closeness with your family find closeness with yourself find closeness with what you want to stand for and what you want to believe find closeness with how you want to change and find closeness with the kindness in your heart find compassion you know when you even if you do step out Like today, when I stepped out, there was a man who was getting irritated because the guy in the shop was taking a long time because everyone's keeping about like a three meter distance and he was working slowly and he, you know, he was alone and he was getting irritated. And uh, at some point he was standing behind me and he went, and I asked him, I said, sir, are you irritated? He said, I'm in a hurry. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask him, what are you in a hurry about? Where do you Mm -hmm. have to go? But I just looked at him and I said, you know what, Sonam, I'm not even going to upset him. I just looked at him and I said, sir, it's a difficult time for all of us. I suppose we all have to be patient. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell him to find compassion and kindness for me who was waiting before him, for the man who was doing his job despite the risks. So I think at this time, just find compassion for everyone, even the small number of people that you're coming in contact with and for the larger community and close." So the two C's, compassion, oh gosh, I don't even want to say three C's because that's Corona. (laughs) Compassion, uh, closeness in the time of Corona.
1: (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. Sonam, thank you so very much. Listeners, uh, there will be uh, Sonam's um, social media handles in uh, the show notes. Have a look, go over the website, listen to her songs, they will move you. Thank you, Sonam.
0: Thank you, Sadia, for all the good work that you do. And thank you for asking me. And I hope we stay connected beyond this podcast as well. Please stay beyond. And all of you, please stay safe, stay indoors, stay well, and stay happy. Thank you. Thank you. Towards perfection.
1: Thank you so much for listening. And we would be most humbled if you can leave us with a comment, a rating, or a suggestion. Thank you.